see if you can figure out who it is that I'm talking about. It's a man, right? not a woman. So that narrows it down by about half immediately, right, of all the world's population. We've got it narrowed down somewhat. A man, he's married. That narrows it down a little further. He has children. He has grandchildren. You know who I'm talking about yet? Oh, no, there's still a lot of people would fit into those categories, right? Let me give you a little more. He lives in America. He lives here in the U.S. He has a job. He likes to play golf. You figured out who I'm talking about yet? Well, there's still a lot of people would be fitting those descriptions. He often flies in an airplane, sometimes in a helicopter. He travels a lot. Fact is, he was recently visiting here in the state of Tennessee. You got it figured out yet? Probably you're getting closer. He lives in a big house in Washington, D.C. He holds elected office. You know what I'm talking about, don't you now? I finally have identified him enough that you can recognize I'm talking about President Trump. All those descriptives and probably a whole bunch more that you could imagine would fit President Trump. But I'll tell you, each one of us has a lot of descriptives that would apply to us as well. Every individual does. There are things about you that stand out. Unique and important features and characteristics that you possess that identify you as the person that you are. Today we want to talk about this idea of identification and identifiers of individuals. But we want to do it relative to our lives as Christians. Christians are identified in specific, unique ways. And as we discuss these ways that Christians are identified, I think we'll also be highlighting the kind of lives that we are supposed to live. These are important aspects of the type of life that we're expected to live as Christians. We'll pursue that here in just a minute. We stopped just briefly on this very beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee to say thank you for being here. Thanks for your presence and your participation in what we are doing. We think this is the most important thing that we will do today or this week, coming together to worship and honor and glorify our God. Thanks for making it a priority and for for your presence to be here and participate. We welcome our visitors, as Dan already said. We're glad you came our way. As always, we invite your questions. If there's anything that is said or done that you do not understand, or maybe even the possibility that you could not agree with something that is said or done, just say a word. Because we feel a duty, an absolute obligation to show from the Bible why we're doing what we do. We're not doing this because it's our personal preference. We're doing it because we believe we're following the Bible pattern as we worship and serve God. And so if you have questions, by all means, please ask them. So how are Christians identified in the Word of God? What are some of the things that are used to show the nature and character of Christians? Well, Christians are identified as sheep in the Lord's flock. We aren't nearly as closely associated with sheep and shepherding as would have been so in past generations and in other places. But I think we know well enough that sheep are the kind of an animal 
that demands necessitates uh, very close attention and guidance and direction. They're dependent upon that thing, much more so than other kinds of animals, even farm animals. Sheep need to be shepherded. They need to be guided and protected. They are, they are very susceptible to predators. And so there has to be some close oversight, some caring concern and guidance given to sheep. And that may be the very reason for the analogy being drawn, that we as the people of God are sheep in His fold. In John chapter 10, beginning verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known of them. Now that text goes on where he's building upon that idea. He's the shepherd and we are his sheep. And you get down to verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Notice the stress on following the shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. We are the sheep and we follow him. We have to follow the guidance that the Lord provides for us, uh, if we're going to reap the benefits of this relationship thus described. And so the conclusion we would draw from the fact that we are identified as sheep in His fold is that we need to follow Him. It can't just be that uh, we go out here and do our own thing. Uh, that, that we just go off independently in our own direction. You know what would happen to a sheep, particularly maybe a lamb, in a flock that just wanders off, goes away from the flock and from the shepherd of the flock, this sheep or lamb just wanders away. What happens? Uh, that, that sheep or lamb is in great peril, in particular danger of the predators that are around. And so if we want to gain the advantage of the relationship that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to follow His guidance and lead just like a sheep needs to follow the shepherd. There are lots of other descriptives of Christians. For instance, we're told that we are members of the Lord's body. Well, that's surely something that we can all relate to. We understand the idea of various parts of our physical bodies, various members of our bodies. In Ephesians chapter 1... Verses 22 and 23, God hath put all things under Jesus' feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Notice the church is his body. So those of us who comprise the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are referred to as the body of Christ. Colossians 1 verse 18, Jesus is the head of the the body, which is the church. Now, get this. We are members of his body. Okay. Now what if you had, what if, in, what if in your own case, you had a physical body member that wouldn't do what your head was telling it to do? Notice Jesus is the head of the body. And so the head directs the affairs of the members of the body, right? But what if you had this, this member of your body? Say it's your hand. And your hand will not do what the head is communicating that it should do. The hand just simply won't respond. Maybe it acts spastically on its own. Maybe it won't respond or act in any way at all. Maybe it's just completely unresponsive to the signals being sent to it. Do this, do that. My hand won't respond. My hand is just sort of out here acting on its own independently. You know what I would do? You know what you would do if that was the case? 
you'd be running off to the doctor just as fast as you could to figure out what is wrong with this member of my body that won't do what my head is telling it to do, right? Now, make the application, obviously. We are not Christians so that we can just do as we please. Do anything you want. It doesn't matter. And in fact, God doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care. Do whatever you want. You can worship any way you please. You can serve in any way that you decide because the Lord will accept anything you want to do. That doesn't fit with this storyline, does it? The idea is is a, a head giving direction to body members. Jesus is the head. We are members of His body. And that being the case... It is a false view to suggest that we don't have to do what the head says to do. We have to respond to the head. If that's not the case, then there's something wrong with this body picture. If we're members of the Lord's body, we carry out the will of our head. Another picture that's painted in the New Testament of Christians is that we are citizens in the Lord's kingdom. I think that our appreciation for the notion of citizenship uh, is often taken for granted in this country. Uh, how, how, how much lately have you thought about your citizenship as in the United States of America? Probably not much. We don't, we don't think about that very much. I, I, I think it is more so in other places of the world than it is here, but we don't think about that much. But we are actually blessed, right, to be citizens in this physical Uh, nation, the, the United States, but way more than that, we're blessed to be in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like we have physical benefits by being citizens of the USA, there are great blessings and benefits that come from being citizens in the kingdom, spiritual kingdom of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was before Pilate in John chapter 18, Pilate said to him, verse 37, art thou then a king? Art thou a king? Then Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So Pilate asked him, he says, Are you a king? And Jesus' answer was, Yes, in fact, I am. That's the reason why I came. And so Jesus' affirmative answer is, Yes, I am the king. All right, now, if he's a king... Then there is a kingdom, right? Uh, a, a, king, a king's kingdom is that realm in which he possesses authority to rule. Jesus has a kingdom, and we are in it. In Colossians 1, verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so we are in the kingdom of King Jesus Christ. What do you do? If you're a citizen in a kingdom, what do you do? Well, you obey the laws and the directives, the instructions and the commands of the king. A kingdom is totally different than a voting democracy, right? We live in a a representative republic, we are told. Uh, We follow a form of of government known as democracy. And in the form of government that we have, we actually get to vote to set the laws and rules, right? We get to pick our elected officials, and then through them, we get to establish the laws that we choose to live by. 
That's what we're used to. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's not so in a kingdom. If you've got a king over a kingdom, you don't get to vote on the rules. You just do what the king says to do. Some people have imagined that religion is a democracy of some sort. That we get to vote on the rules. And pretty regularly we we hear about various denominational groups that hold their conventions and their synods. Uh, they, They have their councils where they come together. The leaders come together and they vote on various issues told you before about, and you know uh, about the episode we had a, a couple, three years ago where we interviewed a Presbyterian preacher from uh, a church up in Nashville on our virtual Bible study. And he had just returned from the National Convention. And that denomination was voting on whether or not they should accept openly homosexual persons as clergymen in that denomination. They were taking a vote on a moral issue like that. Is it good or not? Can we do it or not? Well, they must have the idea that this is some sort of democracy. It's not. It's a kingdom. We have a king. He has all authority and we must obey the king. Thankfully, the king is not some sort of horrible dictator I suppose he is a dictator, but he's a loving, beneficial dictator. The rules and the laws that he gives are for our good always. And so we are to obey the king. We're in his kingdom. That just follows if we understand that relationship. The scriptures also say that we are soldiers in the Lord's army. There's some, there are some here this morning, uh, not all of us, but some of us here this morning have been in military service. But we understand, we have a good picture of what's involved if you're a soldier uh, in the army. And, you, you, and, and that being the case, that you understand a soldier in the army, you can grasp the picture, the mental picture being drawn in the text that Logan read for us earlier from 2 Timothy 2, beginning verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." So we're supposed to be soldiers. What does this tell you about the Christian life? You're supposed to be a soldier. Well, I would suggest to you that that means that we endure hardships and we defend his cause as soldiers in his army. What do you do then? You're supposed to be a good soldier. You're not supposed to be just a soldier. You're supposed to be a good soldier in the Lord's army. What do you do? Do you bail out? Just as soon as things get difficult, when the going gets rough, do you just give up and quit? Is that what a good soldier does? You know, we've all heard stories about heroic acts of soldiers in battle, in the horrible scenes of battle, and they they don't give up, they don't quit, and they do incredible heroic things under terribly difficult circumstances. That's what a good soldier does. And so, as they say, when the going gets rough, the, the rough get going. And so the, to be a good soldier, when it's tough, you, don't, you, you endure that hardship. You keep on keeping on. You do not give up. 
Are you a good soldier in the Lord's army? Do you, what, what happens when someone challenges you about your faith? And maybe in particular challenges you about the things that you believe. Do you just cave in? Do you back down? Do you, you, you refuse to stand up for what is right? I tell you, there are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of people challenging us about basic morals and basic doctrinal issues. I'm sad to say that some of those challenges are coming from within the church, from among our own brethren. We are being challenged about things we believe and hold dear. You just going back down? Or are you going to endure hardships and defend his cause? That's what a good soldier does. And we are to be soldiers in his army. We are branches on the Lord's vine. That's a pretty neat picture if you stop to think about it. And I'm sure you know the text I'm thinking of is in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, just earlier in that text, he had said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Obviously, you understand that the branches have to be connected to the main trunk. The branches have to be connected to the vine. Uh, And apart from that, nothing good is going to happen, right? Certainly, the branches can't bear fruit if they're not connected to the vine. Last couple weeks, we've been pruning the peach trees in Jacob's orchard. It's a pretty big job. Uh, but we, we cut away some of the branches. And the reason for it is, notice, even as it says here, he, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. And so the pruning of the peach trees in Jacob's orchards, are, are that's all about fruit, right? That's about making peaches, making more peaches, right? bearing fruit. So what do we do? If we are branches on the Lord's vine, what that suggests then is we need to be bearing fruit for the Lord. What do you, what do you think of when you think about bearing fruit I think the, the, probably the main thing that comes to people's mind is winning lost souls for Christ. And I tell you, that's a very, very important kind of fruit bearing that we ought to be striving for. It ought to be a high priority for us all, collectively as a local congregation and individually as Christians. We need to be thinking seriously, long and hard about the people we can reach with the saving message of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you, I believe that fruit, fruitful lives also involve a lot more than that. It's not just about winning lost souls for Christ, although that's very, very important. But I want to tell you, we bear fruit for the Lord when we care for other people, care for our brethren. When we see about the sick and when we uh, provide for the needs of those who are hurting and and when we spiritually reach out to those who are struggling, we're bearing fruit for the Lord. That's fruit bearing. When we maintain strong families, when husbands are good husbands, when wives are good wives, when parents are good parents, when children are obedient to their parents, that's all fruit bearing for the Lord. 
We are bearing fruit for the Lord. There's lots of ways that we can bear fruit for the Lord as Christians, and we need to be doing so. I would just ask you a question. As a Christian, do you, can, can you say that you are thus bearing fruit? It's what we do. It's how we're identified. It's what we are. Are you bearing fruit for the Lord as a branch and on His vine? Finally, let me suggest to you that we are to be lights in the world. Think about lights for a minute. I'll tell you about lights. We're spoiled, aren't we? we are we spoiled to electricity or what? Uh, we can just flip a switch and the lights come on. It's so easy. Easier than it's ever been in the history of mankind. We have lights. And we, and we are in an expectation that, that, that the electricity will always be there when we flip the switch and the lights will always come on. If something happens that disturbs our electric flow, you know, and suddenly we don't have lights for a few minutes. We're up in the air. We're alarmed. We've got to do something. We've got to call the electric company. They've got to come and fix this for us. We take light for granted. And that being the case, we should understand the importance of our identification as lights in the world. In Philippians 2, verse 14, beginning, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, the children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I'm going to tell you, this light that we are to be emanating is far more vital than electric light in the physical world. We show the world, we illuminate, we show the world God's way. Or at least that's what we ought to be showing. And I would ask a question to you and me, are they, what are they seeing in us? Are we the light of the world? Are we showing the way to God for the lost world around us? The world is in spiritual darkness. We have the light. Are we showing that to them? Are we demonstrating that? So people are watching you. They're looking at your conduct day by day as you interact with people in this immediate community. They're drawing something from you. They're getting something. Are they getting the light of the gospel? Are they getting the light of the Lord? You are the light. Are they, are they learning the right way by what they observe in you? As lights in the world, we are to shine forth. We need to be shining forth God's truth. Living for Him. Setting the kind of example that we ought to be setting. Reaching out to people by the way we live and the things we teach. We are the light of the world So there are some descriptives. We've got six of them on the screen there. But those descriptions are not just vain or worthless imagery. Actually, when you think about those descriptives, you see something about the way that we are to be living and conducting ourselves. As a Christian, think about your relationship with the Lord as a sheep in His flock, as a member of His body, as citizens in His kingdom as soldiers in His army, as branches on His vine, as lights in the world? Are you living the way that these things would obviously imply you ought to be living? Something for us all to think about. And I would argue that these are all areas in which we can keep growing and getting stronger and stronger and better and better in these various ways. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say.
We're going to end the lesson with a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll be asking you to think about your relationship with the Lord. Our lesson this morning has been primarily directed at those of us who are already Christians. So we speak to you first. If you're a Christian, but you realize you haven't been living the way a Christian should live, you need to pick yourself up. You need to repent of those wrongs in your life. You need to confess them. You need to get started again. If we can assist you in that way and pray with you and for you, we'd be glad to do so. Let us know. If you're not yet a Christian, we would urge you to make that decision without delay. And the simple gospel plan is hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If we can assist you in your obedience or if we can study more with you, let us know while we stand and sing this song.